Welcome to ShopCast, talking retail strategy with your host, Michael Dart. In this program, we'll spotlight the changes you need to know about in the world of retail shopping and help you plan for the future of the industry. Now, here is Michael Dart. Good morning and welcome to ShopCast, the radio show that spends all its time focused on what's happening in retail today. And obviously, there's no more dynamic time in retail on almost every consumer-facing business than what we're experiencing today. And there's probably no organization that is going through more changes, being more innovative, and responding to those changes than Walmart. And today, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Steve Bratsby's, who is the Chief Merchandising Officer for Walmart USA. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. For those of you who don't know, um, Steve has had a number of uh, tremendous leadership roles in retail. He is currently, as I mentioned, the Chief Merchandising Officer for Walmart. Uh, He oversees all of Walmart's food businesses, uh, private brands, global food sourcing. Uh, He's also been responsible for roles in dry grocery, general merchandising, and he received the Merchandise Excellence Business Unit Leader of the Year Award for Grocery in 2011. Prior to joining Walmart, Steve actually has had a number of roles in, uh, in both industry and consulting. Uh, he was at uh, Frito-Lay for a number of years and actually has worked at uh, AT Kearney, which is obviously where I'm at right now. And Steve, we also share the fact that we got our MBAs from Wharton as well, so we have uh, a couple of things in common here. Very good, very good. <laughs> So um, I'd love to jump right in with you and uh, talk about everything that's going on. But uh, first, love to know how you found your way into retail and what you find most exciting about being in uh, retail today. Sure. Um, you know, I can honestly tell you it was never a plan. Uh, I never kind of set out as a destination to, to be in retail, but uh, actually, like many people in their careers, ended up through contacts and following a friend on an opportunity to, to work here at Walmart. So I spent most of my career, as you said, in consulting and, and the packaged goods world and then had an opportunity through a friend to, to come to Walmart and, and do something different. And uh, it's been great. I've been here 12 years. I actually started my career here in marketing and did three years here in marketing and then moved over into the merchant world, and you talked about some of those roles that, that I've had there and have had uh, the good fortune to progress up the ladder to the point now where I get to run all of merchandising for uh, Walmart stores in the U.S., which is a great challenge. And That is great. You know, yeah, and you mentioned it earlier. You know, there is no more dynamic time. I can tell you that things are changing faster now than I have ever seen at any point in my career, and that's from where we sit. You know, that's customers. That's our competition. Uh, the technology is changing. The expectations are changing. So um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work. But if you have a high degree of intellectual curiosity, there's uh, not really a better place to be right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's for sure. What um, What do you think are some of the biggest drivers of the, the rate of change right now? And if there's a, a few things that come to the top of your mind that you think are paramount in driving the, the shift in retail and the, the shift in the competitive nature of retail, what, what would those uh, uh, things be that pop right out? Yeah, I, I think probably the, the two biggest things are, first is just technology and the, what technology mm-hmm. is able to do in terms of 
presenting opportunities to customers and, and it, whether it's a service, whether it's a product, having the information about so many more products than you've ever had before right at your fingertips and the ability to get that product in the form fashion that you want it is changing retail and it's forcing retailers to act differently to provide different products in different ways. So it's not only what product you have, but how do you actually then deliver that product? So technology is a huge one. And the second one is just customers themselves. I mean, we're becoming an increasingly diverse community, diverse society. Um, new generations mm-hmm. coming up are, you know, growing up with this technology. I have, you know, two, two kids growing up who are in their 20s now, but they, they grew up completely differently than I did and their expectations and, um, you know, the way they study in school, it, it all translates into their lives and the choices that they made and, and what they're committed to and what they're not from products and brands. So those two things are just having a massive impact on how you serve customers and your ability to connect with customers. And it's, again, it's happening at a rate that we've really never seen before. Yeah, no, that, that's right. I like to say, um, that for 100 years, we designed the retail infrastructure for the car, and we're in the early stages now of designing the retail infrastructure for the smartphone because it's, uh, you know, everybody now is, is on these devices, and that's how they're interacting with retailers. So it's just causing a fundamental change in terms of how you have to think about the business and the role almost every single function inside a retailer has to play today. I think that's I think that's absolutely right, and uh, you have to be far more savvy than you've been in the past. And I, you know, I challenge my team, and and somewhat jokingly and somewhat serious, of I say to them, and I hold up, you know, my iPhone when I say that to them, I said, you have to give customers a reason to get off the couch and come to our stores, because you can yeah. pretty much sit on the couch at home and run a large part of your life. Now, fortunately for us, customers choose not to do that and continue to come to to Walmart at an increasing rate. Um, but we have to keep challenging ourselves and keep raising the bar to give them an experience, whether that's through service, whether that's through product or through other things, to, to give them a reason to come and, and keep that behavior that they've people like me have grown up with. But that's a higher bar right. than it's been in the past and a new challenge for us. What, what uh, specifically have you been doing to, to drive people to the stores Number one, and then number two, as you think, say three to five years out, what will you be doing that will still get people off their couches, off these yeah. devices, and and want to take a trip to uh, to visit a Walmart store? Um, we've we've been spending, uh, first of all, a lot of time just on basic assortment in our stores, and if you think about a Walmart uh-huh. store. Um, about 90% of the population lives within 10 miles of a Walmart store, which is, which is a real advantage for us, just that physical footprint that we have and the proximity that we have. And the average Walmart store has you know, roughly 100,000 SKUs in it, and we like to consider it to be the 100,000 most important SKUs that people need in their lives. And we've done spent a lot of time on the curation of assortment, the customizing of assortment to do what we call store the community and make sure that your local store meets your needs as best as possible. Uh Uh, We think as far as national retailers, we do that better than anybody else. Are we still as good as, you know, the local retailer? No, but we aspire to be and and really try to do that. We're also increasing, you know, services in our store. We spend a lot of effort on improving um, our pharmacy, improving our financial services, all giving customers reasons to come. 
and making it more digital. Yeah. You, we have um, Express RX pickup now. We have Express returns that you can all be done through the Walmart app. Uh, our financial services have Express all through the Walmart app. So we're introducing the digital capability uh, along with just providing great product at the same time. One of the fastest growing parts of our business and one of the parts of our business that has the strongest uh, net promoter score is our online grocery pickup where you go online, you place your order, come to the store and you know we bring it out and put it in the trunk of your car for you. Uh, that has received incredible response from customers. It, you know, playing into the new way of customers want to shop. If you don't want to, you know, shop yeah. the store, put it to the car for you. And we'll have that at the end of this year. That'll be in close to 2,000 stores. So it's expanding incredibly quickly. And it's all just about how do we adapt our, you know, physical footprint, yeah. the physical plant that we have to meeting new the needs of customers. We like the fact that we're close to customers. We like the fact that we have the infrastructure, but what we have to do is keep modifying it, changing it, adapting it to meet a changing customer and a changing competitive landscape as we go forward. Um, in terms of, you know, how does that look three to five years out? Uh, it's you know, hard to say, to be honest with you, because it's changing so yeah. fast, but I would anticipate a lot more of the same, but moving at a faster rate. Our goal and kind of our internal mantra that we talk about is how do we take friction out of shopping? So anytime there's a friction, yep. we're looking to remove that and we're looking to leverage technology to do that. So we want to make it as seamless and as easy as possible for customers to choose Walmart. And ultimately, that's whether you choose to you know, shop us online and, and have it shipped to your house, if you want to come to the store and pick it up, if you want us to deliver it to your house from the store same day, or you know, if you just want to come shop the aisles and, and walk the store, um, we're looking to meet customer needs any way they want it. Yeah. Steve, uh, I'm gonna, uh, we can take a short break now. Uh, this first section this is really interesting, but I want to come back and pick up on this point of uh, all of these new services, particularly buying online, picking up in the store, having it delivered to the car, because it seems that that's so convenient for the customer. Uh, but one of obviously the critical questions that a lot of people raise is how scalable is that for a retailer? And then how, ultimately, how economic is it given all of the services and technology you have to put in? So uh, let us take a break now and let's come back and, and chat a little bit more about how you see that rolling out and some of the challenges with it. This is Shopcast, and uh, I'm Michael Dart, your host. I'm here with Steve Bratsby's from Walmart, and uh, we'll be returning shortly. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Carney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atcarney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to ShopCast. I'm Michael Dart, a partner at AT Carney, and I'm joined by Steve Bratsbeet from Walmart. And Steve, we were concluding the, uh, the last section where you were telling us about some of the uh, real exciting and innovative uh, new things taking place at Walmart, particularly uh, buying online, having it delivered to your car in the parking lot that you're beginning to roll out. One of the questions, as I mentioned just before the break, that a lot of people raise is, how do you make this economic for established retailers like yourself? There's this conundrum that a lot of these innovations seem to take more cost, uh, seem to take more time, investment, et cetera, but at the same time don't necessarily lead to improved margins. And so it uh, seems like a, a real you know, challenge, I think, for established retailers versus a lot of the online guys where yeah, at least Wall Street doesn't seem to necessarily value margins in quite the same way. Uh, so yeah. I'm curious how you think about that, if that's a valid perspective and, uh, and uh, how you think this is going to play out over time. Sure. Um, I, I think the challenge on, hey, you're having to, you know, add infrastructure and add cost to provide a curb pickup or, you know, take it out to the trunk of your car service is, is accurate. Um, there's no doubt about it that we're now doing some of the labor that the customer used to do for themselves, which, which puts some challenges on, on us from a margin perspective and from an operating perspective. The flip side of that, though, is it's what customers are starting to expect, and you can choose to make those investments or you can choose to kind of get bypassed. And what we're seeing is customers are responding to it in droves and it's actually building a greater loyalty to customer in the broader sense and the broader brand. Uh, as I mentioned in the first section, our net promoter score on online grocery pickup is one of the highest, if not the highest net promoter scores we measure inside the entire company because customers just love it. So we see it as an investment in the customer relationship. We see it as an investment in the future of the infrastructure of our company. We have, and I was talking about earlier, we have you know such a broad, vast footprint that we have mm-hmm. the infrastructure established already. And what we need to do is find new ways to continue to leverage that. Um, as we've built online grocery out and uh, across, you know, a big part of the country, and as I say, we'll be in, you know, about 2,000 stores at the end of this country, at the end of uh, this year, traffic in the store continues to grow. So it's not like customers, oh, they're just pulling up, sitting out front and not coming into the store. We're getting the best of both worlds right now, uh, but we are making an investment to do it, and there's no doubt about that. And if you think about the trade-off that you have to do to reach customers and deliver for them, that last mile, as we all talk about, is really difficult to solve for. It's really, really expensive. And if we can get customers to come to our store and actually pick up a pre-packed order for them, it actually is pretty advantage from an economics perspective over time versus continued home delivery. So we like the model long-term. The number one reason we like the model is because customers love the model, and we'll figure out how to continue to reduce costs and innovate and uh, make it more profitable over time. But we're we're pretty committed to it. So even though you're you're offering more services where it's easier for the consumer, if you like, not to visit the store because you can deliver to them, you're um, offering it to pick up in the parking lot, you're still seeing a growth in traffic in the stores because – even though those options exist, the consumers will still want to 
park and come in and pick up an incremental purchase or just see what else they uh, they can find in the stores. Is that is that right? Yeah, it is right. And and I think I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is I think we're doing a better job in our stores, quite frankly. I think they're merchandised better than they've been in a very long time. I think our pricing is incredibly sharp. Um, Just the overall experience in our stores, they're cleaner, they're faster, they're friendlier um, than they've been in the past. So we're doing the basics of retail much better than we have in a very long time, and I think that's positioning us from a traffic perspective. The other thing, and, and this is just a broader statement, human beings are social creatures, and they like to interact with others. And there's a large generation um, that, you know, grew up shopping and are going to continue to shop. They're not going to suddenly just, you know, make all of their purchases online or all of their purchases from a pickup perspective. And if you go and you walk one of our super centers on a Sunday afternoon, you know, you'll see whole families, oftentimes multi-generational families, shopping together because it's what they do. Or you'll see older customers out and about because it's something for them to go do and get out of the house. So customers like to shop, and shopping is a deep part of our, our culture, and it's been for a very long period of time. So despite all the technology and all the changes, which will continue to come, there's no doubt, and the landscape will change, I think there's just an innate behavior built into us um, and that human you know, desire for socialization that's going to keep shopping around for a very long time. I think that's really interesting. I just saw a study uh, where the, uh, uh, the authors looked at people's uh, smartphones, and, of course, because of all the location tracking, they could find out where people went to. And it turns out that we are really creatures of habit, and we have, they argued, no more than about 20 or 25 places that we go on any kind of regular basis. But we keep going back to those places because we like it. Uh, as you said, we're social animals, we're creatures of habit. And I often think that for retailers, if you can create a compelling reason to get somebody in that habit flow, so that they, they want to come to your store, then actually it becomes somewhat automatic. It crowds out other retailers, other places that people go, but you can get on that loop and people actually will keep coming back to you. And the data seems to be supporting that. It's hard to get new customers. It's hard to break the flow, but it's critical for you to sort of be in that flow. So if you've got your customers now, creating that experience that you talked about, making it you know, a fun experience on the Sunday for the family. And people seem like they will actually return. So I think there's something really in that. I think that's, I think you're, that's right. And, and if you think about the business model that we run, you know, a large, large portion of our business is food, we call our grocery consumable business, our health and wellness business, the type of things that people buy every week. Uh, and restock and yep. replenish on. And if you do a really, really good job on those fresh foods, um, you'll build their loyalty and customers will continue to come. And there's awful lots of customers who, you know, they want to pick out their own produce. They don't want it delivered to them. And if you can earn their trust on that and be consistent on that, they'll reward you with their consistent behavior in return. Since we're talking about food, I'd love to... Uh uh, chat a little bit about the future of food because one of the big trends that I've seen, and it relates, I think, a little bit to what you said up front with the customer being diverse, lots of new generations, is that uh, there's this incredible fragmentation that's taken place uh, with the consumer. And there's all of these new niches, new tastes, new products that people are aspiring to. I, I like to say that we've gone from craft foods with a K to craft foods with a C. 
because there just seem to be so many new sort of small innovative brands and that in many ways we, we're going through this demassification of the economy. So I, I had two questions of that as, as you think about the future of food. Number one, do you agree with that fragmentation taking place that there's a, just a tremendous proliferation of niche brands? And then number two, how does a, a scale retailer like Walmart, respond to a trend like that to still be able to to meet the needs of all of these diverse consumers? Sure. Yeah, I think fundamentally, I think you're right. Um, The large brands are under a lot of pressure from the smaller upstarts. And I think it's coming for two reasons. One, uh, actually three reasons. One, there's a lot of great companies doing a really good job that are are these small upstarts and they have more capabilities than, than they've had in the past. Two, um, the large, larger brands have kind of created in many places the what I call the oxygen in the room for, for them to succeed and um, are still trying to maybe run the big brand model of the past, which isn't as relevant today. And the third one is customers in the new generation is just much more open to trying new things. They're not um, a slave to the big brand that maybe generations in the past were, and they're more open to trying new things, uh, experimenting with these brands, and their loyalty is, is not um, as easily garnered as maybe generations were in the past. So I think that's happening. I think there is a lot of, of new brands. An awful lot of our growth comes from medium to small brands today, which is different than mm-hmm. it's been historically. So we have to be even better merchants than we've been in the past to curate assortments and to understand what's important and to take chances, quite frankly, and have a higher risk tolerance to bring in smaller brands into uh, into our into our stores. And you know what's interesting um, when I go out and I talk to small suppliers, and I was with a large group of small suppliers last week. One of the big things that they still get nervous sometimes about talking to Walmart because they're like, oh my gosh, 4,800 stores, I, you know, I, I can't do that, I'm a small company. Well, what we've gotten a lot better at is, is onboarding suppliers and building capability, you know, call it 100 stores at a time. You don't necessarily have to service the whole chain and finding the right niche for these, for these different, uh, different smaller brands and getting them into the right stores because awful lot of them shouldn't be in 4,800 stores, but that doesn't mean they can't be really powerful regionally or in a type of store. So we're working on building that muscle to do what we call store of the community better than we've been in the past. And it's actually, while there's a lot more choices to be made, it makes it both easier and harder at the same time. It makes it easier in that you can find solutions. It makes it harder because you actually have a lot more choices you have to make uh, going forward. But I think your your point on craft from a K to a C is, is a good is a good way to think about it. And there's a lot more customization and personalization, and people can get what they want and in a different way than they've ever been able to in the past. Do you think this means that the the major brands and their brand equity is going to decline, or do you think that there's a uh, uh, a peaceful coexistence that uh, many of these major scale brands who dominated the uh, the grocery landscape for for so long will be able to find with a lot of these new upstarts. I think it'll be a mix. To be honest with you, I think that the large brands that are willing to change and willing to think about their business differently and not be just stuck in their old model and you know reinvest and innovate and find new ways to reach customers and new ways to work with retailers. We'll be just fine. Um, you read a lot of articles around, you know, there is no brand loyalty and the big brand is dead. I don't believe that. I really don't. I think 
large brands are it's just incredibly powerful and they're just incredible asset base to draw upon. They need to use it the right way and they need to change a little bit and adapt. But I think they can be incredibly successful in the new world. It's just going to be a different model maybe than it's been in the past. I think that's right. I think in many ways, it's really all about how the major brands continue to innovate, both in terms of product, um, you know, taste, flavors, but also innovate in terms of how they reach customers in all these different niches and remain relevant and meaningful in people's lives. And uh, uh, I think a lot have been reasonably slow in doing that. It seems to me that there is still a ton of potential for, for these brands out there if they can get that formula right. This is Shopcast. Uh, I'm Michael Dart. I'm here with uh, Steve Bratsby's. We're going to take another short break and then uh, we'll return to continue our conversation. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Carney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atcarney.com to find out more. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to ShopCast uh, with our guest today, Steve Bratsby's, and uh, he is Chief Merchandising Officer at Walmart. Now, one thing, uh, Steve, that uh, I've been curious about as I think about Walmart and all the changes taking place is how does an organization uh, the size of Walmart manage all of these changes? It really is teaching an elephant how to dance, I think, in many ways, just because, uh, obviously, just incredible scale in terms of number of locations, people, issues you deal with. Uh, Curious if you have any tips, advice for for folks who are similarly going through changes and what works and what doesn't work and, and how Walmart's managing this, uh, this incredible transition and change that's taking place in retail. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. There's no doubt about that because, to your point, there's, um, it, it's multidimensional in that there's not only a lot of change going on, the pace at which that change is going on and the number of people that it affects across locations. And what we've found to work best for us, and then maybe it doesn't work everywhere, is um, we let it happen organically. There's a lot of direction from the top. We, we align on our strategic intent. We align on who the customer is that we're trying to serve. Um, the, I call it the principles on which how we're going to serve those customers. And then we task people and challenge people to go make it happen. And um, try not to get too bureaucratic and too cumbersome in the tracking management 
process of it, but but let people go. Hire great people, kind of turn them loose and, and let it happen. And sure, sometimes do we, you know, do we bang into each other a little bit? And um, it's not always the most efficient way, but I think over time, there's a multiplier effect inside a large organization to, to, to let it run um, as organically as we possibly can. And, and it's making a, a pretty big difference for us right now. But uh you know, it's really hard to manage tightly and to track. You have to just have the right people and kind of focus them in the right direction and, and let them make great things happen. Has there been a deliberate plan of pushing decision-making and authority down the organization uh, as part of that organic process you've talked about? Or, you know, have there been other ways in which you've enabled or empowered people through the organization to to feel like they can make the, uh, the necessary changes without having to go, as you say, through a bureaucracy? Yeah, m- most certainly. Um, empowering people to make decisions is one of kind of the key mantras around here. And um, we like to joke all the time is, you know, if, if you're not empowered to say yes, you can't say no. And um, uh-huh. we, try to take the, we try to take the pocket veto away from people and, you know, always work towards how, how do we move uh, down the path. Because you'd be amazed in large organizations how people can say, well, you, tell you all the reasons why you can't do something, even though they're not empowered to actually make anything else happen. So we're working hard to, to make sure that decision-making is pushed down. People are empowered to do what they need to do. And again, it's, it's not a free-for-all. Trust me. We have plenty of guardrails, and um, we, we manage it all closely and um, try to do it. But, you know, I, I understand what the direction is from, um, from our CEO and how he wants to run it. And, you know, he expects me to serve customers from a merchandising perspective and get it done. And when I need help, I raise my hand. But without, other than that, follow the principles of the company and move us forward. Steve, I know we're running against our uh, time uh, limit here, so I have really uh, one last uh, question or topic I'd love uh, to get your opinion on, and that is you spend obviously a ton of time in, uh, in and around retail. I'm sure you look at lots of uh, uh, different companies who are doing innovative things. Is there anybody out there who you look at and say, wow, they're doing some really cool, interesting things that uh, um, I should potentially take a look at or other folks should look at or anybody you particularly admire right now in, uh, in what they're accomplishing and what they're doing on the, uh, the retail landscape? Um, boy, there's, there's a lot. I wouldn't necessarily say there's anyone specific. What I tell you is when you're, when you're Walmart and you're as big as we are, um, you have to watch everybody and um, uh-huh. I have to learn from everybody because, you know, we, we need every dollar we can get out there to maintain our market share. You know, one of the, one of the great um, kind of, uh, aspects of this company or one of the key principles that's been ingrained in this company is to learning from your competition and being a fast follower. And, and Sam Walton, who started this company, that was one of his key mantras. Of, he studied everybody and he walked his competition almost more than he walked his own stores. And we still do that today. We are out in competition all the time, watching people, learning from people. Um, and, you know, what they're doing may not be exactly right for what we're doing, but we watch everybody. And I would tell you, that's really the, the, key, the, the key to success is you have to learn from everybody and be a true student of retail and know your business as well, if not better than anybody else, to be successful in today's age. Because it's a limited market out there, and when you're as big as us, you need every dollar you can get. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, I, I want to say I'm going to enjoy... Uh, watching what you accomplish, what Walmart accomplishes, 
And uh, again, thanks so much for spending this time with us, sharing these insights, and uh, look forward to uh, uh, continuing the dialogue uh, sometime, hopefully, in the future. So thank you. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining us on Shopcast, the show that's focused on everything happening in retail, and uh, look forward to welcoming you back in next week's episode. I'm Michael Dart. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Shopcast, talking retail strategy. Please join host Michael Dart for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And check out past episodes at any time on demand. We hope you enjoy your week.